actually had gotten the death penalty for a reason. Jesus was put to death because, you know, there was, there was something more at work. He was an innocent man. But the other two were not innocent. They were, they were hardened criminals that you would put to death. And as they were on the cross, you must know that the cross was not the only way to execute a man. It wasn't the only Roman way to execute a man. It's not like the electric chair. The electric chair or lethal injection, both of those would be over pretty quick. The cross was what was reserved for the worst criminals and rebels and terrorists. The cross was how you killed your worst enemies because it was a long way to die. As they stood on the, or were on the cross hanging there, one of the thieves mocked Jesus, joined with everybody else. The other one, they call him a thief, but in, in, in ancient vernacular, that could have meant a lot of different things. Could have been a thief was one thing. Could have been he murdered people while he stole their stuff. Whatever he had done, he had done something bad enough to get the worst kind of death penalty. The one they wanted you to suffer for. As he looked over at Jesus, he, he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. He'd done nothing good in his life, but at this moment he believes that Jesus is. And he says, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I'm sure he didn't know exactly when that was going to be, but he believed that it would come. Jesus looked over at him and said, tonight, this evening, you'll be with me in paradise. Can you imagine? That's, that's really the first, first after the cross or during the cross salvation. And it's amazing because, I mean, you know, Jesus hadn't yet risen from the dead, so the work wasn't completely done, but he hadn't even said it is finished. But when he said... Uh, Tonight you'll be with me in paradise. It's an amazing thing to me because how many things right did that thief do? How many good works did that guy do? Did he get off the cross? Did he say, oh, well, I can't get off the cross, but while I'm here, I might as well, uh, <laughs> maybe I can give to charity. Hey, 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 Tony, remember that stuff we stole? Can you give it to a widow or something? Is that good enough, Jesus? No, he didn't do anything. Nothing good. He had nothing to offer Jesus. But Jesus said, tonight you're with me in paradise simply because you believed in me. What an example, huh? So many times we think that, uh, well, you know, there's, it's a process being born again. It's a long process. It's a drawn out process. For that thief, it was a moment of belief. When he confessed who he really was and he believed it, he was saved. Jesus took that, as, took that faith as, and counted it as righteousness. And that young man or old man, I don't know how, how old he was, was with Jesus in paradise that night. The paradise was not heaven because Jesus had not yet ascended to the Father. Paradise was a place reserved, separate from hell, but yet within, within view of hell, as Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We, we find out there's a chasm separating the two, that, that because Jesus had not yet blot, brought his precious blood to the throne of God, we still had flaws enough that we couldn't be in the same place as God. But there was a place reserved so they wouldn't have to suffer for the righteous people that had just had faith. The Old Testament saints like Abraham and Moses and, and Joshua and Gideon and all these guys were in the bosom of Abraham. And that's where Jesus went when he went off the cross. The Bible said he ascended to the lowest parts of the earth. And when he got into the garden, he said, I have not yet ascended to the Father, which means I have not yet, even after he rose from the dead, he says, I haven't yet been up there. But I believe when he said on the cross, it is finished, that he had done all the work that needed to be done. When he went down into the depths of the, uh, the earth, when he went into to hell itself, 
He went in victory and stole the keys, took the keys, paraded Satan and all his forces, triumphed over them openly. The Bible says he preached to the souls that were lost. And I believe that he stood in the bosom of Abraham and announced the good news to Abraham, to David, to Moses, to all those guys. I said, I'm here, I've won, and you're going to be made perfect. And that's just a great thing. So uh, we're celebrating that. And so when you look at that drama skit and you look, well, I mean, Jared didn't, I mean, of course, Jared didn't get the death penalty. That, he was just playing a part, believe me. But as he looked over at Jesus and said, you know, hey, I mean, I, I believe you are who you say you are. That was enough. And that's where you've got to start this morning is saying, I believe you are who you say you are. Jesus did not say, I'm a great man with some new social ideas for you. Jesus was not as much as they'll tell you, as much as people try to convince you. Jesus was not murdered because he was a social revolutionary. This isn't the story of a man who just shook up the system enough that they wanted to kill him. This was a man who claimed he was the son of God and they killed him for that. Because he was the son of God. This was a man... Even though that's why they killed him, that's not why he died. Because they tried to kill him before. If you read the Bible, they had attempted this before. It wasn't the first time they attempted it. And Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. And just to prove his point in the garden, they said, we've come for Jesus. And he said, he says, which one of you is Jesus? He goes, I'm he. And as he said that, they hit the ground. All these soldiers in their big tough battle gear as buff as they were, as, as, as armed as they were, they all hit the ground and were temporarily paralyzed. When they finally came to and got up, he said it again, I am he, and knocked them down again, just to prove you're not coming to get me, I'm going with you. The reason Jesus went with them was not because he was afraid that if he didn't go with them, they might stab somebody. The reason he went with them was because the Bible says in Isaiah 53, it was the Father's good pleasure to crush him for you. That he had already taken on, he'd begun the process of taking on your and my sin. As he walked to the cross, he was going to pay for it. We talked about this on Wednesday night. The Bible says in Psalm 85 that mercy and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed. In, in God we find He is 100% just. 100% righteous. And that means that the wages of sin is always death. That's always the case, guys. Sin is, is punishable by death. And that's not because God is an angry God. It's because if it weren't that way, there'd be no justice. His word, which is perfect and holds the world together, would be now imperfect and the world would fall apart. There must be justice. There must be the balance. When there is a, a break in His perfection, when we had disobeyed God, it messed up everything. And the only thing to make it right was the wages of sin is death. And so what Jesus did, was He made a way that justice and mercy could meet in one place, and that was the cross. God, when, he, when Jesus was on the cross, God showed His justice that there would be a punishment for sin. But He showed His mercy in that you didn't have to pay it. He paid it Himself. You know, some of us talk about, well, God sent His own Son. How, would it, how hard would it be for me to send my Son? You have to understand, Jesus was not simply a kid that God had running around heaven. 
Jesus was a, was a, a, a part of God himself. If you understand, I know the Trinity is a complicated thing, but they are one. They're, they're three and they're one. And it's, it's as, as much as you try to wrap your head around it, it can, it can boggle you for days at a time. But here's the deal. Jesus and God are one. And so when God sent himself, part of himself, down to us, Jesus fully showed us who God was. But God was not just giving up a kid that he had had somewhere back in the past. This was himself. He took our place. That's an amazing thing to think. You know, I, my, my little son is, is a good boy. And I tell him that all the time. I say, Moses, you're a good boy. But, you know, when you're reading these parenting stuff, you could go crazy if you read every parenting book. Absolutely crazy. It would drive you nuts because one, one extreme, another extreme, somebody trying to meet in the middle. And uh, all this time, you, if you let yourself believe it, you'd feel guilty for the rest of your life because you think you didn't raise the perfect kid. And uh, so, but you do try to prepare. And there's some books that are very strict. I mean, like they're spanking kids while they're in diapers. They're spanking kids that can't even crawl yet, which is really weird to me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, little newborns, they don't know any better. They just, you know, here they are. And, uh, but there's some that are really kind of hard. And, and, you know, you get some people that tell you, don't coddle that baby. Don't coddle that baby. Don't coddle that baby. Uh, like, you know, you don't want this to grow up to be a big mama's boy. Don't coddle this baby. And uh, they're really tough on you. Like you're holding him. You're picking him up every time he cries. And I read something that really kind of enlightened the subject for me. And it, it brought up the fact that my little boy for nine months was in the womb, held 24 hours a day, constantly held. He didn't know what it was like not to be rocked. He's being swayed every time my wife walks. Been rocked to sleep. That's why he came awake at night. Because he's being gently swayed to sleep every time she's doing something around the house. When she goes to bed, he's like, oh, finally, it's still time to wake up. You know? And so he's been caressed all his life. And that, in that womb, he just feels like, oh, this is great. Then all of a sudden, he's kicked out. Like an 18-year-old who hasn't got a job. He's kicked out. <laughs> And uh, all of a sudden, he is without a home, as far as he's concerned. And he goes from like 24 hours of being held and rocked and caressed to like 12. That's a major cut down for him. Even if you held your kid, now 12 is a lot. Even if you held your kid for 12 hours a day, which not many people do. But even if you did, that's still 12 hours from what he's used to. And so it's a bit of a shock for the little dude, you know? It's just a bit of a shock. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, the world is still about me. It's about me, me, me. But, I mean, I'm used to getting rocked all the time. I'm used to being in that warm womb and all of this. And all of a sudden, I sometimes have to go in the crib all by myself. And I thought of that to a certain extent. I don't mean to dumb it down or, or make it seem like less than it was. But have you ever thought about the fact that from the time that Jesus was born, to the time he went into the Garden of Gethsemane and to the cross, he was always in connection with the Father. And that was his very life. He, went, he made statements like, I don't do anything unless he tells me to do it. I don't say anything unless I hear him say it. And then all of a sudden, the Father has to turn his face from Jesus. And when Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just quoting somebody. It's from the depths of his being. The first time in his life, he is separated from that life of God, from that love of God, from that warmth, from that from that knowledge that I am connected with the Father. And that, my friends, was much worse than any physical thing you ever could have done to him. Now, he did that for us. We sometimes, you know, that, that statement, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It first came out of the Psalms. You have to understand that there are many prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus went to the cross and he rose from the dead. But sometimes we think that Jesus is quoting the prophets, that he had to do that because it was prophesied. But you have to understand that the way God works, God lives outside of time. And so... When those prophets prophesied, this is what he'd say. This is what he was going through. Jesus wasn't quoting them. They were quoting him. Sometimes prophecy is weird that way. (laughs) God doesn't live in our linear time schedule. And so they saw, the prophets saw the sufferings that he'd go through. And they knew that he was doing it for humanity. But the most beautiful thing is is that that's not where the story ended. Of course, we know that on the third day, he got up. He got up from the grave. And you know, when he did that, he didn't get up just saying, whoo, I barely escaped that. The Bible says when Peter gave one of his big sermons in the book of Acts, he says this. He says he rose from the dead because it was impossible for the grave to hold him any longer. Now, can you imagine? That's not, a, that's not like I barely escaped. That's not a Steve McQueen just, just almost got out of there. When he said it was impossible for the grave to hold him, it, it would be a big, 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 big miracle for him to stay in the grave because the power of God was in him now to get out of there. And he stole the keys. And when I say stole, I don't mean like sneaky stole. I mean like he came and he just took them. The keys of death, hell, and the grave. What does that mean to you? The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus took the death-dealing power of the devil away. That means that when Adam sinned, all of us sinned. He sinned on our behalf, unfortunately. But don't worry, as soon as you had a chance, you made up for it and did it yourself. And then, so we're separated from God, we're separated from life. The very thing that broke Jesus' heart on the cross, we did without even thinking about it. And so when Adam did that, he gave away the power, the dominion over the earth that God had given him. He gave it right to he gave it on a nice big platter. Here you go. And Satan had the power of death. That means when you sinned, of course, the big death, the biggest death was that you were separated from life itself. God is life. He is life. The Bible says that he is the light. It says that light was the life of men. So when we were separated from him, we were separated from life itself. That's the big death. The other death is when your body quits, your heart quits, your brain stops working. That's death. But the even worse part was when your body stopped working, you were forever and eternally separated from God. Not because your body stopped working, but because your spirit had already been separated from God. That was the death. And so here's the greatest thing. When Jesus took that power away. I mean, Satan, here's how he had the power of death. You want to know how he had the power of death? He didn't have a big red button that says, okay, Rhonda's going to die. Boom. This is the power of death he had over you. 
When your body quits working and you stand before the judge of creation, Satan had all the evidence he needed to put you on trial and win. You know Satan's a liar, right? The devil's a liar. But he didn't even have to lie at your trial. If you hadn't received Jesus, he wouldn't even have to lie. He could just bring up the facts. And so the death-dealing power he had was like a, like a bad a bad district attorney, a bad prosecutor that, that had all the evidence he needed to put you to death. And when Jesus died and rose again for you, he took that power away from Satan. There's a beautiful picture of that in the Old Testament as Joshua the high priest and Yeshua is the same name that Jesus would later bear. And Joshua the high priest stands on behalf of Israel and he's dirty and he's got gross clothes on and he's messed up. And it says that as he stands before God, filthy and messy and gross, that God is looking at him and God is standing there as the judge. And it says that Satan came and began to accuse him. And you know, Israel had done a lot of bad things. Even though God was so good to them, they had done a lot of things to run away from him. And so Satan began to accuse him and he was right every time. And yet... All of a sudden, this voice comes out and says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Has not God chosen this man? Is he not a brand plucked from the fire? Then that voice says, Now put a clean robe on him. Put a clean turban on his head. And then he gives him access to the angels. He says, Now you have authority. Now I give you a place in my kingdom. Isn't that amazing? He was on trial, and this is just what your trial would have looked like. You would have stood there, and no matter how good of a lawyer you had, you were still guilty. You would have been guilty. And yet God says, shut up. Can you imagine the judge saying that to the prosecutor? Shut up. The Lord rebuke you is a nicer, holier way of saying it. <laughs> well, can you imagine God saying, shut up enough? Because Jesus has already taken all the evidence against you and taken it and said, no, I did it. Took it on the cross as if he did it. And you can't be tried for the same crime twice. Romans chapter 6. We read Romans 5 on, on Wednesday night. I want to read Romans 6. Because the last thing that we read in Romans 5 was that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It said that uh, it said in verse 17 of chapter 5, For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And you have to understand, grace is abundant, it's more than you need, and righteousness is a gift. And he says, those that receive, so you can't, you don't just get it because you live on the earth. You got to receive it from God. You got to believe it. You got to have faith. And as you receive it, you receive the abundance of grace, which means more than you'll ever need. And the gift of righteousness, you will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Do you feel like you're reigning? Do you feel like you get up in the morning and you're, you're feeling like I'm a king here? I'm actually, I'm actually winning. I'm not talking about Charlie Sheen. I'm talking about really winning because he's kind of a picture of losing. 
But do you ever feel in the morning, you get up and go, I, I think I got this. I, you know what? I know what I'm here for. I know my purpose. I know what I can do. And you don't feel like beaten down. You don't feel in bondage. You don't feel like you're being crushed every step. Well, you can feel that way. This is what God promises you, that if you'll receive the grace and the righteousness that He has for you, you'll reign. That means to actually rule in life through the one Jesus Christ, which means sin doesn't have power over you. Satan doesn't have power over you. Your own temptations don't have power over you. Your own bad habits don't have power over you. Your own insecurities don't have power over you. That you're able to step into His power and His anointing and His life. Romans chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue, us, continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's what happened on the cross. We died. You died on the cross with Jesus. If you've received his life, that old person who had all that bad junk and garbage and baggage was put right on the cross in Jesus Christ. And you've died. How, who we, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? And it says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. And at this point, he's not just talking about water baptism. You know what the word baptism comes from? The original Greek word means to what? Immerse, to dunk, to just fully just put in there. To soak through and through. Like if you're going to dye a piece of cloth, you baptize it in that dye, and it comes out totally different. This is what the Bible says happened to you. When you receive Jesus Christ, you're baptized, immersed into his death. That means there's not a part of you that doesn't die. You know, when we baptize people, whether it's in the lake or whether it's in this tank over there, you may not know this, but that's a tank. And uh, no youth hot tub parties. We just use it for baptism. (laughs) All of a sudden, the youth are perking up like, wait a second, we could. No, you can't. But when we baptize people in there, they go all the way under. They don't hold their hand up and go, ah, if I leave this hand out, I can use it to sin. No, you go all the way under, demonstrating that every part of you dies. All of those bad habits, all of that rebellion, all of that sin, all of the insecurity, all of that fear, all of those lies, dead. And when you come back in, you have been baptized into his death, but in verse 4 it says... Therefore, we who have been buried with him through baptism into death, we know the story didn't end with Jesus being buried, did it? So your story doesn't end with you being buried. If you get up and you tell your testimony and somebody's playing a country western song and their guitar in the back and you get up and say, I used to have a hard life. I used to be a bad, bad person. Thank you, Jesus. I don't do that stuff anymore. And you go sit down. That's only half the story. You didn't just stop doing bad things. Jesus didn't just get buried. He didn't just die. There's a new part here. You didn't just stop being dead. You had to become alive. And it says, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father. So we too. Now, do you see what that means? So we too, just like he was raised. When they say things like we Two, that means just like Jesus. Just like Jesus got up from the grave and we celebrate it and we sing songs about it and we jump up and down because we know he didn't stay dead. It says, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
What does that mean to you? Walking in newness of life to me means that I don't just have a moment in my history where I was raised from the dead. I don't just go five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I was raised from the dead. I say every day I walk in his resurrection. Every day is resurrection day for me. Every minute is resurrection minute. doesn't mean you have to keep getting born again, but it means that that resurrection life of God is not just an event in your past. It's a fountain inside of you. It's a fountain that always flows. Jesus said, you want life? Drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. He says, "Out of your, if, you, if you have a drink of me, not freak people out, but he says, if you have a drink of me, out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water. Which means, guys, Jesus died not just so you'd stop doing bad stuff. Jesus died so you would have life every day and you'd get up and have that fresh newness of life that you'd have his life in you, his power, his purpose, that just as Jesus walked around with purpose and power and joy, you can have that too. You just have to embrace it. I mean, this, there, there are ways to ignore that life. There are ways to stop up the fountain and just... And just rely back on your flesh again. But he says, why would you do that? Why would we who've died to that stuff go back to it? Isn't it better to be alive? Can I ask you a question? I've asked you this before, but I'll ask it again. How many of you have ever played dead before? I'm talking about playing dead. See, I played dead. I played dead most of the time to scare my sister. Not proud of it. <laughs> if she has a twitch today, it's my fault. <laughs> We've all played dead. It's easy to play dead. You just stop moving and pretend you stop breathing. Have you ever seen a dead person pretend to be alive? I'm just playing. I'm actually dead. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Thought I'd liven up the funeral a bit, right? No, but seriously, I'm actually dead. It's good. You guys already sit down. Funeral, still, funeral is still on. I'm dead. doesn't happen, right? That's what it is before and after Christ. You know, before Christ. See, when, now, now, now that you're born again, you can go back and live like dead people. You can act like you're dead. You can pretend you're dead. You can go and do the same thing you used to do when you were dead. And look like everybody else. But you know an unbeliever who has never received that free gift from Jesus Christ cannot pretend to be alive. You've got something that can only come through Jesus Christ. Now I don't care what laws we pass. I don't care what, what uh, rules we pass. If you don't have the life-giving power, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in you, you can't stop sinning. People think they, you know, get my life, I'll get my life together, then Jesus will accept me. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't stop sinning until your life is already transformed. When he gives that life to you, oh, you can live. And it's not just a life of not sinning. It's a life like Jesus had. Life more abundantly. He says this. For if we have become united with him. Do you hear that? United with him. Like one with him, the same united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly 
That means there's no chance this doesn't work. Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed, is freed from sin. But it doesn't even stop there. That's not even the best part. Listen to this. Now, if we've died with Christ, because that's the part of you that stops sinning when you die. But there's more than that, guys. If you thought religion was all about the things you don't do, you've only heard half the story. That would be just like telling you that Jesus just died and not telling you that he got up. There's way more to it. There's no excuse to be boring in this life. There's no excuse to be depressed in this life. There's no excuse for you to be a pickle juice Christian who walks around so just just saying, oh, it's hard, it's hard, I try, I just can't. You don't need to be that way. Because the Bible I read, I find out that those guys, even when they were being tortured and beaten and punished, they still had a smile on their face. There's real life. It goes beyond the circumstances. It goes beyond what you're experiencing and goes to something much deeper. And here's what it says. If we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, He died to sin once. Everybody say once. And he died for all. Now, we say once and for all, and we forget what that means. He's saying he died once, but for all means for all of us. You say, is that for everybody in the world? Yes, he he paid everybody's price. Doesn't mean everybody will receive that. Some, I mean, some people will go and never receive his free gift, and they'll suffer the consequences of it. But he went ahead and paid their price anyways. If somebody pays your meal at the restaurant, you go and you still leave money on the table. That's not their fault. That's yours. He, he did it once for all. And it says for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now this is how you can live. Because it says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. That's just half of it. But alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So we know how to consider ourselves dead to sin, right? You've probably done that before. The things you used to do. The things that tormented you. Maybe you're, maybe you're in this room t- today and you've never received Jesus. And you know what that's like. We all know what that's like. To have things that are, that are coming against us. And we want to quit, but we can't quit. And we hate ourselves after. And you say, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Well, listen. You can die to that part of you. You can put it to death. But here's the other part. Not just dying to the old habits and the old ways, but becoming alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now listen, he says alive to God. Not just alive with God, not just alive in God, but alive to Him. He says Jesus lived a life to God. Like, like your song that you're writing for him is your, is your life. Like your story you get to write for God. That's your life. That you do it as a form of worship. You know, when we sang these songs, you may have lifted your hands to God. You may have lifted your voice to God. 
But now he's saying you have an ability like Jesus did to lift your life to God as the ultimate sacrifice of worship. And here's the good news. God loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. So is it a bad deal to live to him? Do you think he's going to abuse that? I consider, and I know I talk about this way too much, but I consider my son a gift to me. I'm not going to abuse that boy. He's, my, he's a gift to me, and I love him so very much. So I'm never going to give him a, a command, or I'm not going to tell him something that's going to hurt him. And I'm not near as good of a father as Jesus, as God. I'm not near the father that he is. He loves you enough. So if you live your life to him, don't be afraid that he's going to abuse you for it. He loves you more than you love yourself. He cares more than you care. And here's the deal. Let's not think about resurrection as something that happened 2,000 years ago. Don't even think about it as something that happened to you 20 years ago. Or five or one. But consider the fact that he says we can walk in newness of life. I can walk in resurrection power every day. The Apostle Paul said, here's my goal in life. It's not to preach the most sermons. It's not to get the biggest crowds. My goal is in life is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. That's what we want to do. To know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now, can you imagine how Jesus came out of the tomb? Picture it. Do you, think, do you think that the soldiers all of a sudden heard this grunting behind the, the, the stone? And somebody's like, eh, little bit of help here. And he's just like, oh, man. Oh, the cramps you get being dead for three days. Uh, you know, do you think that was him? Oh, I could use a hot shower. You know, you figure that's what Jesus was like coming out of the tomb. No, the stone burst open. The soldiers hit the ground. He came out in all the fullness of life. He didn't come out halfway. He came out in all the power of God. That's the power of the resurrection. Now imagine, here's what God promises you. That's every day for you if you want it. That moment when he came out can be your life. Imagine getting up in the morning. Pow! (laughs) What are we going to do today, God? I'm going to walk in resurrection power. Somebody needs healing. Oh, I've got power inside of me. It's His power. Somebody needs life. I've got that. Oh, somebody needs love. I've got that too. I've got what the world needs because He has what the world needs. And I've got Him. Man, this is not boring. This is not dull. This is resurrection life every day. You can walk in newness of life. If you've been living the less than that, you've been gypped. You've been ripped off. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, which means more than you ever need, that you're overflowing in life, ruling in life, reigning in life. (laughs) Oh, man. And whatever happens, like I said, you see the apostles go through a ton of just junk. People think that if we beat them one more time, they'll shut up. If we put them in prison one more time, they'll shut up. If we threaten them, they'll shut up. And Peter says something like, we can't stop. 
Here's, your, here's the problem, guys. You think if you threaten us enough, we'll stop. We can't stop. We can only start talking about what we've seen and heard. This life's in us. We can't stop. Man, one of my fathers in the faith, a man that has really ministered to me, I said, you know, if you could go back to any moment in history, where would you go back to? He said, well, I'd go back and I'd see Jesus raised from the dead. He said, the other thing I want to see is he said, I'd love the moment the Apostle Paul is marched out of the city. He's knelt down. And there's a sword raised to chop his head off. He said, I'd love to kneel down, whisper in his ear, what are you thinking right now? Because believers like Paul and John and us, you don't face death the same way anymore. Death no longer is a master over you. There's no such thing as dying to a believer. In the Bible, it says they fell asleep. There's no such thing as death to us anymore. Death has no power over us. And the Apostle Paul even said this. He mocked death. And it was, it was, he was echoing an Old Testament prophet who was speaking by the word of God. And he said this. Death, where's your sting? Grave, where is your victory? We can mock death. I don't take it lightly when someone dies. Nor does God. But you, can ne- you don't have to ever be afraid of that again. You don't have to be afraid of who you used to be. You don't have to be afraid of your old friends. I don't recommend that you go and hang out with them like you used to. But you can be a light to them. And as Jesus, just as Jesus didn't wimpily come out of the grave, didn't just slump into the meeting of the disciples, but came in power, that's life for you. You can walk in newness of life. Every day, alive, like you've never been alive before. This is the life that God promises. He doesn't promise you the life of, you know, your best life. He doesn't promise you the best version of you that could happen. He promises you His life. This is not you pumped to your 100%. This is you with His 100%. And that's way better. Thank God. This is not just your best life. This is His best life for you, in you, and through you. Amen.